is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. Researchers learning more about breakthrough infections. UC San Diego doctors interested in studying them after an increase in infections among their health care workers. Most of them vaccinated. So what are they finding? We'll find out. A new study finds masks do work, at least certain kinds of masks. The pandemic causing even more problems with the semiconductor shortage. Let's start, though, with breakthrough cases and what we can learn. Dr. Christopher Longhurst is Chief Information Officer and Associate Chief Medical Officer at UC San Diego Health Doctor. What did you learn from this outbreak? That's a great question. And as you described, what we saw was that about two weeks after the state reopened in mid-June, we started seeing more and more of our employees getting positive COVID tests. Now, our employees have the opportunity to test frequently. The tests are free. And we recommend it for any symptoms or exposure. And so we think we probably were able to pick things up sooner than we might have in in certain patient populations. Um, But uniquely, what we saw was not only a surge of employee infections occurring in July and August, but actually the majority of those, as you described, were in individuals who are fully vaccinated, which was eyebrow raising. And that's what made us look more closely into this. Okay, so we had a couple things going on, right? Delta was starting to go around and we had masks coming off because it was the the reopening where we in L.A. got a, a couple weeks of it before masks came back on here. Yeah, you nailed it. We think that there's three things that contribute to the steep uh, rise in infections. The first was the um, dropping of universal masking guidelines, which uh, we saw in our own contact tracing data led to our healthcare workers having an average of six exposures uh, to other people rather than the previous, you know, two or three. That makes transmission more frequent, of course, right? The second was uh, Delta. And in fact, we sequence all of our positive uh, COVID results And in the month of August, 97% of them were Delta. And that clearly had an impact of penetrating through the vaccine defense against infection. And then the third is there does seem to be some waning of immunity against infection. And I want to make this really clear for your listeners, because we know from other large data sets like Kaiser, that these vaccines continue to be very effective against hospitalization and severe disease, which is what they're designed to be. In fact, in our hospital today, we have 60 individuals hospitalized with severe covid the majority of them are unvaccinated. Unfortunately, however, these vaccines are not preventing infection and transmission the way that we had hoped that they would before the COVID variants begin to appear. But as we've had many experts on this show tell us, uh, you know, most vaccines don't prevent right infection. And the fact that these vaccines did, at least for you know some period of time, was kind of the you know the the icing on the cake. But the real purpose of these vaccines to prevent, as you just said, hospitalization, severe illness, death, that seems to be holding up even among your own staff, right? That's exactly right. We've had no hospitalizations. Of course, we have a healthy workforce. The median age is about thirty nine years old. But interestingly, um, we do contact tracing on all of our own employees. And the majority of those who had known exposures were community-based exposures, often in the household. And in one third of the cases, the household exposure was from a child. And so that was really interesting data that we've shared with the state, because, of course, as schools reopen, that's become an increasingly likely vector of transmission. 
I'm wondering if we can bounce off your testing program with the idea that your tests were more readily available and probably a, a different kind of guideline than public at large. So if you were screening and flagging a lot of people, if they had, you know, one symptom, like, oh, my throat kind of hurts or uh, I've been a little stuffy or whatever it is. Um, and that turned out to be a breakthrough case or, or however you want to term it. There's probably a bunch of people running around vaccinated who thought they got a cold for maybe a few days that could have been a cold or, hey, maybe it was Delta and they got a mild case and they went about their business, which I guess is good news for them. That's exactly right. I mean, you nailed that. Um, our healthcare workers uh, are tested so liberally that we probably pick up cases that your average member of the public, you know, would not have tested for, right? Unfortunately, we still don't have those cheap, easy at-home tests that we wish we had, um, but we've made them universally available to all of our employees for free. And so that's helped us to pick this up, but it's also helped us to understand something that's harder to understand in the public that aren't testing as frequently. Dr. Christopher Longhurst, Chief Information Officer, Associate Chief Medical Officer, UC San Diego Health. Thanks. The one debate that will never seem to end, masks. Do they work? Don't they work? Can anything finally answer this question for good? Maybe researchers from Yale, Stanford, and UC Berkeley. They did a study on this. It finds surgical masks can lower transmission. Dr. Stephen Luby is an epidemiologist and professor of infectious diseases at Stanford, co-author of the study. So, doctor, this is the big randomized trial we've been waiting for to finally get some answers. Yeah, we went into this saying that we need a randomized trial in order to persuade people. And in order to do this, it needs to be big because um, because the incidence of infection is low on a population level. So yes, this is the gold standard trial to evaluate mask promotion. And it showed what? And it showed that we first, we increased mask use in intervention communities, went from 13% up to 42%. So it, it tripled. I mean, it got better. It's still not great, but we did improve it. And with that level of improvement, we saw a 9% decline in COVID-19 and importantly, a 35% decline among people over the age of 60 who wore surgical masks. So we think this would even be a lot better if we could have gotten it even higher, but it does show you improve mask wearing, you reduce COVID-19. Okay, so it's an error to read it and say, you know, masks only prevent 10%. If you had scaled it up to, you know, near universal, then we'd be in a totally different place. Exactly. It, precisely. Uh, and people say, well, it looks like a small effect. Well, you, when you're going in the real world, when you're not doing this, you know, in a lab or something, I and mean, you need to persuade people by talking to them to put on a mask, we know that that, um, that, that, that can be a challenge. So we're actually pretty enthusiastic about going from 13 to 42%. But yes, there is a lot of room for upside improvement. Okay, so now let's say uh, you're talking to somebody who's convinced that they need to wear a mask. Then the question becomes, what kind of mask? Uh, you know, we have people who wear bandanas, homemade cloth masks, surgical masks you've mentioned. Then there's the, the uh, relatively expensive uh, 95 masks, uh, uh, either the ones made in the U.S. or the ones made overseas. Uh, what does this study, if anything, show about that? Well, the, this, we, we actually randomized on whether people got cloth masks, and these were good cloth masks. So these were cloth masks that we had manufactured in Bangladesh, and we, 
we tested them. They were designed here and they were manufactured in Bangladesh and then tested here as well. So they're about as good as you're gonna do with a cloth mask. And then we also, because the surgical masks are so much cheaper, then we also um, randomized to surgical masks. And what we found was that the surgical masks were what were driving all of the effect. Um, that, uh, that surgical masks, the people who wore um, surgical masks had a 12% reduction in COVID-19. And we actually didn't have enough statistical power to show an effect of the cloth masks. Now the cloth masks did um, affect symptoms and we think um, cloth masks are better than no masks. But one of the lessons that we take away from this trial is that filter efficiency matters. And so that uh, masks that have better filter efficiency are likely to provide substantially better um, protection. That's a clear message from the study. Is this protection for me or me protecting other people or both? We, uh, we, we think it's both. Um, um, but the design of the study does not allow us to show that because we didn't, uh, there, there, there are just some things in terms of how many um, blood tests we could do. We can't prove that to be the case, but everything in terms of the lab work all, and the modeling all suggests that this is a dual benefit. You protect yourself and you protect others. So when you are not at work in a clinical setting, what kind of mask do you wear? I am I am wearing an M95 now. After the results of these studies, I was not before. Um, I, um, but uh, but the results of these studies have demonstrated to me that filter efficiency matters. So I personally have um, uh, upgraded to an M95. Okay, so then that leads to the question that there are people who are going to say, well, is there a kind of uh, uh, you know I don't know benefit versus comfort level that needs to be taken into account as well as cost because 95s are more expensive than surgical and some people find it difficult to breathe adequately with a 95. It can get kind of hot in there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. how do you work that through? So the best mask is the one that people will wear. So comfort really matters. And um, and and there are, so, so I would definitely encourage people to look at some of the KN95s, which are cheaper. Um, and there are, um, there are also some braces that people can wear even around um, a standard surgical masks that will, um, that will reduce side flow. So yes, I do think that comfort matters and cost matters. In Bangladesh, we told people you can wash your surgical masks. You don't need to throw them away. You can wash them with detergent um, and dry them. And in fact, we took these through 10 cycles. And even through 10 cycles of washing, rinsing, and drying, they still had filtration efficiency that well outperformed cloth masks. So we actually think that, that you can reduce costs by washing things that historically um, have been a use once and discard from a, uh, from a medical perspective. Why Bangladesh? Ah, because... Um, uh, Bangladesh had a low level of vaccination, and it looked like a long time before vaccine would be in place. Only 2% of people were vaccinated by the time we did the study. In addition, although the government had um, recommended people to wear masks, and they reported when you asked them, if you when we did phone surveys, 80% were saying that they wear masks. But when we sent people out to the field, we saw it was down more like 10%. And so we saw there as being a real gap. And 
Um, and we thought this was a place. Um, I lived in Bangladesh for eight years. Um, Mushfiq Mubarak from uh, Yale um, lived, um, uh, was born in Bangladesh. And so this is a place that we also have very deep connections with. And so that we had the capacity to pull off a trial of this complexity. Dr. Stephen Luby, epidemiologist, professor of infectious diseases, Stanford Medical School, co-author of the new masking study. Coming up after a short break, the microchip shortage in the U.S. now impacting some of your favorite cars. The global shortage of computer chips getting worse. General Motors saying it is stopping production at seven North American plants during the next two weeks, including two that make the company's top-selling Chevy Silverado pickup. Ford will also stop making pickups at its Kansas City plants next couple of weeks. It's all because uh, COVID has hit workers and chip factories, forcing some plants to close. Dan Hirsch, Managing Director of Automotive and Industrial Practice at Alex Partners. So, Dan, we had heard maybe this was going to ease, but uh, it doesn't appear to be getting better, at least for not every automaker. Uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Um, it, it certainly feels that uh, things are accelerating. And what, our, what we're seeing kind of on the ground here is, uh, the semiconductor issue is easing, but at the same time, um, you know, we've, we've really hit the, uh, the, the thin part of, of other uh, supply availability for other raw materials. The labor shortages are, are causing problems. And so there are, there's just so many things going wrong that continue to go wrong uh, that are causing these disruptions. And at this point, it's just impossible to point to any one thing except the pandemic generally. Uh, that's causing uh, the continued uh, shutdowns. And what does this mean for consumers? Uh, it means uh, continued low inventory and high prices for uh, for our cars, for new cars and used cars. Uh, so holding on to vehicles as long as you can, maintaining them. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to mean high prices for, for vehicles of all types, probably for another uh, a few months, certainly well into 2022. Yeah, I know there's some people with used cars that I know that are thinking, okay, well, uh, the value is, is sky high, so I got I want to get rid of this thing. But then they go and they can't get something new, yeah. so then they're stuck. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, it's a great time if you have an extra vehicle or a mode of transportation that you can use to uh, replace your your car, I mean, this, the same is true in housing, right? If you have an extra house that you can sell, it's a great time to sell it. Uh, but if if you're just swapping one uh, for another, uh, you're really not going to gonna be better off. There's no arbitrage here. And when it comes to cars, uh, I mean, this is really the problem of having cars become, you know, basically driving computers, right? I mean, in the days before uh, all the technology on cars, this wouldn't be an issue whatsoever. Uh, sort of. I, I disagree with that a little bit uh, because some of these shortages, some of these shutdowns are due to labor shortages in some of the supplier plants. You know, automakers aren't 100 percent transparent about which shutdowns are due to which components. And we we are actively helping companies find coils of steel, uh, special bar stock. I mean, any number of of other raw materials are also in shortage and transportation is extremely expensive and extremely scarce particularly ocean freight from asia to the united states uh those those are all adding to this but are they short labor because people are getting sick with covid or they're short labor because people have decided to go to other occupations i mean people who work in in auto manufacturing they, they make usually pretty good money 
Yeah, um, it's hard to point to any one thing, to be honest. It seems to be uh, a, a con conflagration of a lot of issues. Some of it is unwillingness to work in close quarters. Some of it is just um, an ability to uh, get by on whatever the, the stimulus currently is. Some of it is uh, it's, a, it's tough to get childcare, right? And the choice between paying for childcare and and working uh, for the types of wages that we've had in the past, even you know, relatively highly paid auto workers, um, pe people have definitely made different choices. But you know, at the same time, I think uh, your point about um, you know COVID keeping people away or, or or weakening the workforce is also true. Dan Hirsch, managing director, the automotive and industrial practice at Alex Partners. Dan, thanks. If scientists develop a drug that can fight off COVID after someone's already infected, a snake might be to thank. Researchers in Brazil found a molecule in the venom of a type of snake limited coronavirus reproduction in monkey cells. Now, they say the molecule is already known for its antibacterial qualities, and it can be made in a lab. The researchers say they will next look at whether that molecule can prevent the virus from entering cells in the first place. Now, they do warn that people shouldn't go out and hunt the snake or others uh, thinking that they're going to save the world and end the pandemic. It's not the venom that will cure COVID-19. This is an Odyssey original. You can find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.